0: I knew what was at stake. I knew that I had to succeed uh, uh, for several reasons, for myself and for my family, for my mother and to inspire nieces and nephews, uh, which I did because one of my nieces ended up going to Miami Mm. University. She graduated in 2013. Mm. She is the second person from my family to graduate.
1: Hi, guys. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today's conversation is, is real special. Every, every one of these conversations that we've had since we started in January is unique. Everybody's path to Miami and their path after Miami. Uh, it's different, is unique. Um, this, this one's uh, even more so. We talked to Will Haygood. Will, first person in his family to go to a university. And he shares an unbelievable story about that, especially the, the counselor, the guidance counselor who didn't think he get, could get into Miami. And it's the only school that he applied to. You'll like that side story. Um, but Will also has written a book called Tigerland. It comes out September 18, right here in the future. So pick it up. Um, it's a book about East High School Tigers in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, tells the stories of a poor, black, segregated high school that won two state championships within 55 days, um, right around the same time of the assassination of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. And he spent three and a half years uh, and tracked down a number of the players and the white basketball and baseball coaches. He interviewed 125-plus people for this book. And if it's anything like one of his last books, The Butler, that turned into a movie starring... Forrest Whitaker and Oprah Winfrey, you know Will's in for unbelievable success. But Miami has chosen that book, Tigerland, uh, to be the incoming book for all freshmen this year. So they are reading it, and I think everyone should too. It's really great. We we start the conversation uh, with Will sharing, you know, why he's a writer. What got him into knowing this would be uh, his, not just passion, but his business career. Enjoy.
0: It was in high school in Columbus, Ohio, uh, when the teacher uh, in the 12th grade first told me that I had a writing, writing gift, uh, and no one had ever said that to me before. Um, and so uh, when I got to Miami in the fall of 1972, um, I knew that I would be taking English literature courses because I was drawn to writers and and I was a reader um, and uh, but folks had frightened me off from majoring in English literature. Uh, telling me that it would be very difficult to get a job with an English literature degree. So I majored in urban planning, urban studies, with a minor in English literature. Uh, And so uh, that was really how the writing uh, started.
1: And as somebody growing up from Columbus, did you always think Miami was the place you would go? I and mean, obviously, you've got a, a big school down the block right there in Columbus. Kind of, why Miami? Yeah.
0: Uh, well, several reasons. One, um, my high school counselor, uh, when I went to her office, I saw a a stack of college brochures laying around, and I told her I wanted to go to college. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college, so I knew it was gonna be a steep hill to climb. Um, And I took a stack of those college brochures home, and I leafed through them all, and I was very attracted to Miami University, it was something about the red brick yeah. and the loveliness of the school grounds. All of that spoke to me for some reason. And I really did not know that students should apply to several, several schools. I made up my mind right then and there that I wanted to go to Miami. So I went back and told the high school counselor and uh, she was very um, snooty (laughs) and told me that she didn't think I could get into Miami. And I felt very offended by that. And, And I told myself that that was going to make me try just that much harder to get into Miami, and so it all worked out. It was the only school that I applied to, which, looking back now, seems (laughs) very naive because, my goodness, if I hadn't have been accepted, I just don't know what I would have done.
1: I think it's amazing that the the beauty of the campus— uh, even came through just in a leaflet or a pamphlet, that it wasn't the physical appearance and you going down to Oxford that you were able to see yeah. through that. That's, that's pretty wild, too.
0: Yeah. I had never set foot on Miami's campus. Uh, so.
1: and, and months later, when you got accepted to Miami, did you make a little walk down the hallway to the guidance counselor and walk in with a, a wave or a smile?
0: Oh, yes. I was very proud to have gotten in. And also, there was a local um, high school teacher, a wonderful gentleman. He wasn't at my high school. Ironically, he was on the segregated east side of the city, and this gentleman named Claude Willis. um, And uh, he knew that I had been accepted to Miami, that I was going to Miami, and that I had never never seen the campus. So about, uh, I would say, about six weeks before school started, uh, he told me that he was going to come and, and that uh, he was going to drive me to campus so I could see it. He told me to tell my mother that he was going to take me on the drive and he was going to drive me to Oxford and he was going to have me back that same day. Uh, and he did, and it was just a very magical trip. And I knew once I had seen the campus in the lawns, in the red brick buildings, I I, I was extremely happy that I had been admitted.
1: And when you talk about the segregated east side of Columbus, uh, was it? Was there a defining point uh, physically within Columbus that had um, a west side or an east side, and and I, I guess just your memories of that? Um, it sounds like you were growing up on the on the west side of the city.
0: No, okay. I actually grew up on the north side okay. of the city, which had, um, uh, you know, in my in my grade school, uh, in my junior high school we're all mixed, we're all racially mixed. And then uh, my mother, in the summer of 1968, uh, wanted to move out of her parents' house. Uh, We lived uh, with my grandparents. And so my mother finally wanted to move out of her house and she could get cheap housing in a public, Uh, housing project all-black public housing project uh, which set on the east side of the city Um, and so that's where we moved to in the summer of 1968 just so happened to have been this you know you know that summer when there were riots everywhere because of the assassination of Martin Luther King jr. that April uh, and so on the east side you had um old vestiges of of all black neighborhoods uh and so that's where we live even though of course as we know you know there was a 1954 brown v board of education desegregation ruling but That was on the law books, but it did not really take effect until many, many, many years later. And many schools across this nation all throughout the 60s were, of course, still uh, very flagrantly segregated. Mm
1: -hmm. And then when you showed up on campus in those red brick buildings, what was that like? I imagine first time away from home first person in your family ever to go to university. What were those four years like, both living with family away from home, but also getting to experience the world differently?
0: Yeah. Um, I knew what was at stake. I knew that I had to succeed uh, uh, for several reasons, for myself and for my family, for my mother, and to inspire nieces and. Nephews, uh, which I did because one of my nieces ended up going to Miami mm. University. She graduated in two thousand and thirteen. Mm-hmm. She is the second person from my family to graduate. And so um, um, uh, it, it was uh, it was it was just uh, a wonderful, An eye-opening time for me, I loved books. Um, I loved taking different courses. Um, um, School was hard. It was never easy for me. Um, I struggled. I struggled some quarters. Uh, Then we were on the quarter system, so... Mm -hmm. There were three quarters, uh, uh, but I had some, uh, I really had some caring professors uh, who I could tell wanted me to succeed, Uh, and that, of course, makes you also work harder um, and and I also wrote a couple articles for the student newspapers. Um, I had started then to understand what a writing voice was, what it meant when somebody said uh, she has a certain kind of a writing voice, he has a certain kind of a writing voice. I started to understand uh, uh what that meant um and so it felt like being there for the four years it felt like i had found the home but year to year to year i i always wondered if i would make it to the end and because i didn't have an easy major school was hard foreign language just were hard, the sciences were hard. It was all, uh, you know, it was all a moment to moment where you really had to stay on your toes and you really had to work. Uh, um, and so I did, and I was able to graduate in four years.
1: That's great. And we're gonna yeah. we're gonna talk uh, obviously about this new book Tigerland that's coming yeah, out yeah. here in a few weeks, and everyone at Miami gets one and goes national September eighteen, which is really exciting. And now I understand. And I was trying to look back and why Columbus, why East High School in nineteen sixty eight. It makes a lot of sense now, just listening to your background. I'm curious before we get into the book and even talking about the Butler that became an award winning film and many other books. What what gives you the inspiration to write each book?
0: Uh, yes, and that is a uh, and that is a great question. When I walk into bookstores um, and I've got something on my mind about a subject matter, if I don't see that book, then I simply say to myself, well, I think I'm going to write it. Mm. I did not see a major biography of Sammy Davis Jr., one of the greatest entertainers the world over. And so I said to myself, I'm going to write it. (laughs) I did not see a major biography of Sugar Ray Robinson, one of the greatest boxers. Of all time, and and I said to myself, "Well, it doesn't exist, and I'm going to write it." And uh, uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, who was the first African American on the U.S. Supreme Court, nobody had ever written a book about uh, his confirmation hearings, which were the longest confirmation hearings up to that point. In history, and I, I just thought that was a fascinating story to tell, so I did. Um, and and with Tigerland, um, <laughs> I would see all of these sports books, kind of sports themed movies, uh, like Friday Night Lights and remember the Titans and Hoosiers, and I would say to myself and my subconscious, gee whiz, East High School won two state championships. Some of those teams whose stories became books and movies, they didn't even win their state championship. But East High won two. And this story had been ignored, and so I said, "Well, I'm going to use my literary reputation, and I'm going to, and I'm going to tell this story myself." And as soon as I mentioned it to my editor, Peter Gathers in New York, uh. He didn't even skip a beat. He said, oh, that's a book that you have to do. He just, he just snapped his fingers and he just knew. It's just a phenomenal story. All-black school, 1968-1969 uh, school year. So many convulsions around this country and in, in the city of Columbus and in the state of Ohio and yet they win two state championships 55 days apart it's just the stuff of legend
1: when when you when you thought or when, you, when, when that book is in your in your mind, and you go to your your editor and they say um, or the publisher, and they say, "We snap the fingers, let's go." what happens next Where, how, how long does it take to to write the book? do you, Do you sit and you, do you go away from home and, and get the computer or the typewriter out and start going away, or is it more of a door to door and a lot of research? Just curious how you, how you write yourself?
0: Yes, well. Um, uh, One of the things that I knew, uh, unlike in my other books when I started them, uh, all of those major biographical figures uh, had been dead. Sammy Davis Jr. had been dead. Sugar Ray Robinson had been dead. And Thurgood Marshall, he was dead. And so, but with this book, I knew... Is that all of these athletes uh, were were very much still with us, only in their only in their mid sixties, uh, and so uh, I started traveling to Columbus, staying for long periods of time, finding these athletes. And you know, phoning them up and explaining to them what I wanted to do uh, what I wanted to do with this story, why I thought it was a book and they were all uh, emotional about it they they had all thought that their twin stories had been forgotten and, and that nobody cared about what they had done uh, that year. Uh, and I told them, I said, well, I care. And 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 that really is how it started. And then I track down some school teachers who were there. Uh, and I went to Texas where, and I was able to track down Scott Geiler, uh, uh, who was a volunteer basketball coach that year, um, uh, and it took like it took like three and a half years, mm. and I probably interviewed between 125 and 150 people. Wow, it was a fun exercise too. I mean, it just was fun to to experience the joy that they got from somebody who wanted to tell their story and tell it in a big way and connect it to the history of this nation.
1: And when you're interviewing 125 to 150 people over three and a half years, are you do you have an idea of what you're writing and then you write and add as you talk to people? Or do you actually have to interview everybody, and then look at a lot of pages of notes and start to write from there?
0: Uh, (laughs) Yes. That is sort of the good thing about uh, having a book contract. Uh, (laughs) They expect you to turn in a certain amount of pages at the end of the first year and then a certain amount of pages at the end of the second year. And so you know, at about every nine month period I would sit back at home and look at all my notes and and start shaping the narrative. And so, you know, there are two parallel stories in this book too. That was that was very hard about this book. It wasn't like I was telling one main, major story. I'm telling two parallel stories. A basketball team and the baseball team. And so I knew that I would tell one story at the start of the book and then there would be a break. I would find some narrative, some narrative writing to transition from the basketball to the baseball and as you know from the book uh there's a big chapter on the ballot of Jackie Robinson and that takes you into the second half of the book so I really had had to understand early on uh how I was going to structure the book. And once I had knocked that beast to the ground, once I had understood how the book was going to be structured, um, it really smoothed the road out for me.
1: Well, there's three or 4,000, I don't know the exact number of incoming freshmen in Oxford that are about to receive this book. What, what, What do you want them to take away after reading it?
0: Well, you know, sports and sports figures, when you talk about race, uh, have always uh, sought to bring the country together. I mean, because everybody likes a sporting event, everybody likes the underdog. And, um, when you think of great, great black heroes in this country, some of them are sports figures like Jackie Robinson, like Joe Lewis, like Gail Sayers. Um, and you think of these figures, uh, uh, who broke down barriers, um, And we are having long overdue discussions about race in this country now, and we are having racial turmoil out on the streets of this nation, and it's awful. Um, And yet, I think it is important to look at where we had triumph inside of a um, story, uh, narrative about race. These were... These were white coaches who loved these players, who would do anything for them, who wanted to be at that school too. They did not want to run from the east side of Columbus. They wanted to be there. These teachers, white and black, wanted to be there. Uh, And so unity, when there is unity, good things can happen. When there is a great dream, good things can happen. Um, and it has been wonderful for me too, to see how close, uh, these guys on the team remain with their coaches through the years. Uh, and they, and they have these, uh, reunions, um, uh, and they care, uh, and I just think that this is a story that will inspire people, no matter who you are, no matter, you know, and if you were born well off or not well off, or if you're Asian or Muslim or black or white, it's just the story that I think exemplifies the best of the human spirit. What
1: and what is next? I imagine if when you talk about every nine months you're turning in pages and the book took three plus years. It sounds like you have to then. You're probably working on more than one book at a time. Uh, maybe not. Um, yeah. Uh, but do you already have the idea? Have you already gone to the bookstore and had a few ideas in mind and noticed an opening and a gap for what's, what's coming next for you?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. It's funny that you <laughs> uh, ask. Uh, yes, uh, uh, I'm not totally there yet with the idea, but I do. I can give you a hint. It's going to have something to do with the world of movies. All right. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> do about movies.
1: That narrows it down to a couple hundred million ideas <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> all right so let let's close though movies is a good segue here so let's go back to the butler um yeah i i would say of, of the of the eight you've got some unbelievable books and great stories and hopefully everyone that listens goes and and picks them all up the butler of course has gotten the most attention because of the the film aspect of it. Yeah. What what was that like as an author seeing your work come to life but then also i imagine some liberties that a producer and a director take to uh, make a film uh fit in an hour and 45 minutes that maybe not exactly is how it was uh written.
0: Right. Right. Well, um um Here's what happened. I wrote this story. It appeared on page one of the Washington Post newspaper about this, about this White House butler who had worked for eight presidential administrations. Um, So the story appears, and by that night, I have eight phone calls. Major Hollywood producers who tell me this is a movie uh, and I'd like to buy the rights. Uh, it was it was really astonishing, and then I had uh, I had phone conversations with with all of these movie producers. Uh, 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 who wanted to make a film, and I finally chose Laura Ziskin. She was, she was the main movie producer behind the Spider-Man movies. Uh, uh, she flew to Washington to meet with me, and and that was, and that was really kind of her. Uh, she has since passed away, but she was great. She really shepherded story into the screenplay which was written by uh, Danny Strong and, uh, and then they sent the screenplay out uh, to actresses and actors and when the first two people signed on when I found out about that in a phone call I thought I was going to faint I mean <laughs> they told me that Forrest Whitaker was going to play the butler, and, you know, he's an Oscar winner. And then they told me that Oprah Winfrey was going to play his wife. (laughs) And uh, that was really pretty astonishing. Uh, And then all of these other major actors, major talents, Jane Fonda, Lenny Kravitz, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, Robin Williams, it was just an amazing an amazing cast. Um, and so it happened and it got a lot of attention uh, which was quite um, nice. and uh, we even had three showings of the movie at Miami hmm. for students, and it was it was just great.
1: Well, it sounds like with this book that's coming out September 18th, Tigerland, uh, we may have some screenings with the movie in the near future with that one, too. Sounds like it's coming.
0: I hope so. (laughs) Yes. It is very cinematic. I will sheepishly say that I, you know, and I'm very proud of the book. A friend of mine said, Uh, who's read it, said, well, this is probably uh, your most accessible book. And I think he meant that, you know, there are folks, you know, who knew all these players, you know, who knew these guys they were young then you know you know and it's a story about youth uh many of them you know most of them still with this so they'll read the book their families will read the book um I mean two of these players went on to play in the NBA Um, It's just, um, it is just a pretty spectacular story. And when you look back over it, so much happened during that year. um, And this story got lost. There were so many things going on, of course. You know, there was riots and there was the Vietnam War and there was Nixon. There was all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, And here you had this remarkable story that happened and that sort of of faded from memory, but not history. So I went back in history and found it, and I'm very happy to be sharing it with my alma mater and with the country.
1: What a fascinating conversation. How about that? He writes the butler or a story about the butler in the Washington Post and within a day, eight movie offers. Something you can only dream of. What an incredible backstory, being born in 1954 in the time that he did in Ohio and talking about segregation, even though law had changed, uh, but reality hadn't. Um, And all the books that he's written and how he goes about finding what books to write uh, and to publish, and now this Tigerland Books that we can only imagine will be as good as any of these others or even better. So please go to Amazon or any other places to a bookstore and pick this book up. Uh, I, you won't be disappointed. And he gave us a little tease on the next book, and I can't wait for that one to come out. I really appreciate it, Will. Thanks for your time. If anyone gets a chance to see Will on campus when he comes back and visits, go back to Skippers. Buy him a drink. Say hello. Thanks, Will. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Beyond High Street. Have a great day. See you at Skippers.